Hi, everybody. I'm Seth Busby, editor of Flying Solo. Welcome to our weekly podcast where we step inside the minds and lives of soloists and small business owners. Today's guest is Donna McGeorge. Donna is a best-selling author and global authority on productivity. If you've got a hankering to learn more about how to make the most of your day, well, Donna has plenty of advice. She's been helping CEOs, business owners, and everyday Aussies up their productivity for years. And her latest tome, The One Day Refund, will help you take back time and achieve more by doing less. Well, how good does that sound? So listen up as Donna is going to share some of those secrets with our flying solo audience today. Hi Donna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Sis. Happy to be here. Excellent. Now, I don't want to keep you um, waiting or waste any of your time because I know productivity is very important to you. Where did that passion for productivity first come from? Were you like um, the super organized kid? Were you the one always making the most of your time? Did you have a diary with the slots all filled in or a calendar on the on the fridge? <laughs> Do you know, all of the above. Um, but really, I think where it all came from is my dad was in the Navy. And so when you have a military lifestyle that involves both the structure and order of military, but also the moving around a lot. So um, as a kid, it, it never occurred to me that, you're, you, that, that lateness was a thing. Like you're never late. You're very organized. You pack your bag the day before. Your shoes are shiny when you go to school. Um, all of that stuff. And and also then because I moved multiple schools, I had to hit the ground running pretty well and figure out who's who in the zoo, you know, how do I get, get caught up? Often I had to catch up with classes and stuff like that. So I just learned at a very early age to be organised and on time and and very well scheduled, really. I think that is fascinating, that whole kind of army brat, navy brat um, kid phenomenon. Like it does tend to go one or two ways. You either become super organised like yourself or you rebel completely against it in in um, your later years and you're like, no more of that, be here, do this, do that. So it's just kind of an interesting phenomenon. Well, I think um, I think if my sister was listening to this, she had the kind of opposite effect. She's like, you know, I go where I want, when I want. No one tells me what to do. So I think uh, I think she probably got the, the flip side of it. Yeah. So fascinating. Um, do you think that we're all addicted to being busy these days? I mean, you know, like you ask someone how they are and they go, oh, busy. <laughs> it's like, when did that become an answer? <laughs> Why is yeah, it we, we like think we have to just be busy, busy, busy? We are. Um, it is It is the natural answer. It's no different to when someone says, hi, how are you? And you go, good, even though you might have an ingrown toenail and, mm. you know, you're not actually that great or you're not feeling well, but you just stay good. And it's the same thing with work. How's work busy? And and I'm not sure that it's necessarily an addiction or just the way things are. I'm, I've been reflecting on this the last couple of days, actually, very specifically, around the idea that um, there's been four decades of downsizing that in my working career. And it's almost like people these days uh, are doing the job of maybe four, 40 years ago would have been done by two or three people. And it's not just technology. It's that we've just kept downsizing, downsizing and expecting people to do the same stuff with the same resources that they did with two or three people. So I think that's one aspect of it. And the other thing is um, Australians generally are, um, we, we have done, I don't know, hardly any of us take annual leave when we should. 
We uh, have got done the gazillion hours in um, unpaid overtime. We don't sleep very well. We skip lunches. And so we've somehow prioritised work. Um, and, and, and it's like every single gap we fill in with something. And if we're not filling it in, we feel like we're wasting time. So there's definitely something going on here. Um, and so if, you, if you're going to ask me what should people say instead, you know, instead of, you know, has work busy, I want people thinking about, you know, how's work? I think it's okay to say things like, oh, it's really constant right now. I've got a lot on right now. Um, super productive or I had a really unproductive day. But just try and get out of the habit of saying busy and think a little deeper about, well, what has your day really been like, you know? It's interesting because um, culturally there's this perception that Australians are this, you know, happy-go-lucky, we're off to the beach, we're in the pub having a bevy, and yet the opposite is true. As as you say, like the stats show, we're pretty much a nation of workaholics. It's kind of the dichotomy is very interesting to me. And and I don't know when that started to happen either because you're right. We we used to be, like if you look back at, oh, look, I suppose maybe it was around the 80s or 90s maybe I think it started to happen because prior to that we were. We had a very strong outdoors, sporty, beachy kind of culture and then all of a sudden work has become more important. Somehow work has become more important. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. I read um, an article a few years ago and it said um, something like Australians attend something like 400 meetings a year. That's like hundreds of hours that are lost to meetings. I mean, how can we grab back some control with that? Because that's not just me having all those meetings. It's you having all those meetings. It's everybody I know seems to just be swamped down in this (laughs) calendar that's constantly one-hour blocks devoted to something that should maybe take 15 minutes? Well, first of all, you know, I'd love for your listeners just to reflect for a second. What do you feel like when a meeting gets cancelled? And I reckon most of them are going to say, oh, relieved. I have a whole hour to myself in my diary. So that's the first thing is like why Why do we put ourselves through that? Why do we put ourselves why, – why wouldn't we protect a time, a meeting with ourselves – so that we do have that breathing space in our day. That's one one aspect of it. But then I read recently about something called Bartleby's Law, which says that 80% of meetings are a waste of time for 80% of the participants. And I reckon that's why everyone just rolls their eyes about meetings, that no one, like such a small percentage of people, probably the person who's convened the meeting, thinks they're useful. Everyone else thinks they're a waste of time. So... Bit a bit of advice. I reckon we should all our meetings should be about twenty five minutes, and you can do that in your calendars. Just make them twenty five minute meetings, which will mean your meetings are sh- obviously shorter and they'll be more punchy and, and to the point. And really think about who who you need. What and do you even need a meeting? So first of all, do you even need a meeting? And then keep it short. And then who do you need there and why? Right. I just we just kind of default to it. It's like the default setting is book a meeting. Gee, I'd love people to be a bit more conscious about whether it needs to be a meeting or not. Hmm. Yeah, it could just be, you know, a quick email or a a five-minute conversation and not everybody in a whole team needs to be involved. Yeah. Particularly these days when the default thing seems to be let's book a Zoom or let's book a Teams meeting. And I'm like, gosh, remember the days when you'd just phone me? Can we just have a phone call, right, rather than all the palaver of all of that as well? But that's what the last two years have 
probably given us. Yeah, I think that's probably um, that stat is probably bigger now. It's probably way more than 400 meetings now a year and more than hundreds of hours lost because everything because of the pandemic defaulted to Zoom meetings, didn't it? Which mm-hmm. is a whole other fatiguing element in itself. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, we've, we've decided we're going to cut back our time in our meetings. We're going to have more face-to-face conversations. We're going to pick up the phone and talk to people. But um, what are some other ways that we can kind of maximise our time? Are you someone that thinks, you know, like, how you wake up the first few hours or whatever are really important they set the tone for the day or what is it something different no no I am uh pretty much a how you set your day how you set yourself up for success um my how I do it though is I do it the night before so for me um even though I wrote a book called the first two hours I actually think the last two hours of the previous day is where your success setup comes from it's where you kind of wrap up it's where you plan it's where you forward think what are the you know two or three things I really need to make sure I get done tomorrow what decisions can I make right now that mean I don't have to make any tomorrow like what am I going to wear if I'm going to meetings what route do I have to take if I'm driving somewhere differently if I'm um and and you know any preparation anything I can do if I've got kids you know what have they got on at school the next day that I can you know pack the bags the night before I can meal plan all those very small decisions that don't require a lot of brain power, but gee, they make a difference the next morning. And I, so I think that's where it starts. The night before is is where you set yourself up for success uh, for the for your day. Yeah, um, Koshi David Kosh, um, our boss, actually is a big believer in that too. He, because obviously he has to get up super early in the morning for his sunrise TV commitments. So he does a lot of that. You know, he's got planned what he's wearing, puts it light, lays it out the night before for the morning. He also does this very interesting thing where he, um, because he doesn't like the idea that he's getting up at uh, 3.30 in the morning. So he puts his clock forward so it says it's a later time than it is. So he psychologically tricks himself that he's getting up later, (laughs) even though he's actually getting up. That's interesting. Yeah, Yeah. it's great. Yeah, I read. Um, I I read about. Um, uh, oh, I'm just having a mental blank on his name now. He's a, an actor in England. Uh, Patrick Stewart. There you go. I remembered. So Patrick Stewart. He does. He doesn't quite do that, but he sets his alarm for half an hour earlier than what he needs to to get up. And then he has a book by his bed, which is what he calls a holiday book. So typically, you'd read this book when you're on vacation, sitting by a pool. And he says by just reading a page or so of a quote unquote holiday book it's like he's tricking his mind into being a bit calm and relaxed to start the day rather than what he used to do which he'd get up and he'd read the papers or he'd listen to the radio or turn on the telly and he'd say I was so bombarded with news and I'd begin I'd be starting the day outraged and so now he starts the day you know with his holiday book and feels much more relaxed so you know whether it's Koshy's change your alarm clock or Sir Patrick Stewart's read a read a holiday book there's things we can do right in the morning that just help us set the tone for the day i personally have stopped uh, Koshy won't like this but i've stopped um watching morning news on the telly because i just found that um i have a much calmer start to the day when i'm you know, just having a quiet brekkie and a cup of tea and all of that than having all the noise. Mm. What about if you're not really a morning person but you you still have to 
mm. be at your best in the morning. Are there any kind of tips to kind of trick yourself into that? Well, it's not so much that. I mean, I think the, the silver lining of the pandemic is that morning people have um, had the opportunity to adjust their working hours because they could start a little bit later. There was so much flexibility about work. So that's one aspect. Don't don't try to, you know, buck, the system, buck your own system. Um, often I think more, more, the, the, they're a rare breed, the true, what we call true night owls, the ones that stay up late and then like to sleep longer in the day and they come good later in the day. More often than not, we're self-created because of maybe poor sleeping habits or poor eating and exercise habits, or we've messed with the melatonin production, natural melatonin production in our brains. And so I'll often say if you've got in the habit of being up late and sleeping late or finding the morning a struggle, I'm going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sound like your nana, and I'm really sorry about that, <laughs> but I'm going to say going to, going to bed early and even if you can't sleep, but just resting, and trying to do things that don't involve light. So not looking at your phone, read a book by a natural lamp light is okay. Try not to watch telly. In the half an hour before you want to sleep, stop using any form of technology is really helpful um, to try and get your body into a, a rhythm because you can you can adjust your rhythm. It's like, you know, you can get over jet lag um, or get into jet lag. Yes, you can get out of it. So you can adjust your body rhythms, but it does take a bit of effort. And if it's important enough to you, then the effort's worth it. Hmm. And what about um, times of day for concentration? I guess it really varies depending on the person, but um, do you find that there's a better time for you, for example, where, for you to do more concentrated work where you're more focused? Yeah, and which is probably why I wrote the book the first two hours because I find not from waking but my first two working hours. So I usually, I'm up at about 6am most days. Um, and then I breakfast and have a cup of tea and I start my working day at around eight. And so I, I find that first two hours of work, my most productive. And those of us who have, um, uh, oh, for want of a far better word, normal body clock or chronotype, we're more mentally alert in the mornings and we have more physical dexterity in the afternoon. And so for many of us, sometime in the morning is our most mentally alert when we're a bit more switched on, we've got our smarts and we can, you know, do the, do the stuff that requires a bit of mental intensity and then in the afternoon do more routine things. But that's not true for everyone. So I encourage everyone to begin to pay attention to your best two hours. So what, what I, so for me it's 8 till 10, for my daughter it's 10 till 12, um, for other people it could be 1 till 2 or 3 till 5. But identifying what your best two hours are, that's the first part. The second thing is protecting it because once you know, that's your most valuable real estate from a time perspective and uh, use it wisely and, and protect it from others so that you get the most uh, bang for buck. Block it out in your calendar so you can't have one of those meetings. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> now, do we need to get better at saying no? I mean, it seems like... um. Maybe some of the issues around our productivity and timekeeping might be that people tend to commit to a lot of things sometimes and maybe it's an overcommitment that might make you um, not have the time to do all the things that you want to do because you've said yes to so many things you don't actually want to do. Well, sometimes our overcommitment is less about we've just said yes to too many things 
and more about we've underestimated how long things take. And so when we, it's called the planning fallacy that we estimate, we say, okay, I've got four things I want to do. I reckon it'll take a couple of hours. And before you know it, it's taken six hours because we've either underestimated how long um, or we get interrupted, right? And so that starts to create this self-imposed feeling of overwhelm. I'm not getting stuff done. So that's one aspect of it. You are right. We do overcommit. Uh, it is hard to say no to stuff. And I have been teaching people, because no is so hard, I've been teaching people to say, not now. So when someone comes to you and says, hey, have you got five minutes? You can actually say, not now, but I can come find you in about half an hour, which means you can stay focused on what you're doing. Or if they say, can you do this for me, This take on this project? You can say, look, not now, because I'm a bit under the pump. Uh, but gee, I reckon about three weeks, things start to clear up. Can we talk about it then? So I think the the most critical part, though, is assuming reasonableness. So, so often we feel compelled to say yes because we assume the person desperately needs us or will feel uh, or will be grumpy at us if we don't. Disappointed. So I assume everyone's reasonable. Yeah, yeah, right? So I assume everyone's reasonable. So when I say, look, not right now, but I can in three weeks, I assume they're going to be, oh, okay, I understand. Now, occasionally they're not. Like occasionally you have to have a bit of negotiation, but for the most part, when you explain to someone why you can't do something at that time, my experience is most times, nine times out of 10, let's say, that people go, okay, let's find a compromise or let's look at alternatives or let's see if we can figure something out. Um, but I just think, so So trying not now is, is great and assuming uh, reasonableness and then alternatives and compromise. That's that's the tricks, I reckon. So what about this whole notion that's been around for a long time and I think it's particularly prevalent with um, micro-businesses, solo operators, that uh, you need to eat the frog first, you need to get the worst part of your day done, um, the most horrible task, do that and then get on to your other things. Personally, I just think, ugh. <laughs> but what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, first of all, it's a horrible metaphor. There's no way I'm eating any frogs. Um, I suppose unless they're beautifully sautéed in garlic and butter at a French restaurant, then I might be inclined to go for their legs. <laughs> um, I don't subscribe to that. I subscribe to the idea that um, from a neuroscience perspective, when we get a few easy things done, uh, it creates momentum. So I think momentum trumps motivation. So often what we're doing is we're sitting there waiting to be motivated in some way. And I'm like, no, just do a few things first. And once you get a few things going and you've got a pattern of completion or, or a pattern of results, uh, then you start to kick in and, and you start to want to do more. So if, you, if your big frog uh, um, t task that you're thinking about is, is massive, um, for me, what I suggest is that we say, let's break it down as, into as small chunks as we can and then just start with some of the small things and just get into a rhythm of momentum of completion and, and then you've got a much better chance of, of doing it. So, no, I'm not a, I'm not a big frog eater. You're all. not an eat the frog. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah. And what about our emails? Because gone are the days where people got 10 emails. People get hundreds of emails a day and I swear they just can eat up a giant chunk of your time if you were answering each one as they came in. So how can you kind of manage that inbox as well? Yeah, so 
Um, first of all, I, I, I encourage people to not look at their email um, in the first two hours of their day. Now, that's going to make a lot of people kind of vomit in their mouth at the thought of that. It's like, oh, my God, I look at my email straight up. So, no, I'm going to say to you, or whatever you've decided is your best two hours, we're not going to do email at that time. And despite the fact that our email numbers are increasing, it's still only about 10% of them that require what I call a considered response. The rest are process emails where you either go back with, yep, nope, maybe um, file it or noted or something like that, right? So they don't need any thought. So they're best done in the afternoon. Uh, so it's only the 10% that require a considered response. And even then you don't have to do it straight away. Um, I think, again, we're in a pattern and a habit. We're, in fact, we're in so much of a pattern and a habit. It's probably happened uh, to you, Cess, where someone sends you an email and you don't respond straight away. So then they send another email and saying, did oh you get my, my God, email? All the time. And, and then you get a text saying, hey, I sent you an email. Um, it's like, you know what? Everyone, and then a phone call sometimes. <laughs> yes, yes. Why haven't you replied to my email? Um, and so I'm going to say the ones that require a considered response, that's, they're the ones you should do in your best two hours. So you either park it to your best two hours or you might even think about them the next morning, like plan to do them the next morning if they need a lengthy, thoughtful response. Um, but I do think we're, we're at real risk of when um, that we can be in the mercy of our inbox all day. We can sit in it all day. If we, we open it up in the morning, we have all good intentions of having a productive day and the moment we open our email, now we're at the mercy of whatever's coming in, you know, and, and I think that's a real risk. I wish you could talk to a few publicists because there's quite a few that are like that. Here comes an email. Here comes another email. Here comes a text. Oh, and here's my phone call. Um, well, I haven't answered it yet because it was 15 <laughs> minutes ago. I'm <laughs> like, please. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's crazy. Uh, yep. I totally get it. Yep. <laughs> so if – Oh, can I even speak? <laughs> How can you work out what your, your patterns are so that you can work out what the, the best workflow is for you? Well, you're going to have to probably start paying attention to it. So I talk about listening to the clock in your body rather than the one paying attention to the one on the wall. And so your body, all things being equal, um, as in you've got a healthy body, uh, your body's going to tell you everything from what it wants to eat you know, when it needs a drink, all of those things, it also tells you the times when you're most mentally alert. And so things like boredom are a sign that uh, often that you need to have a rest, but we're so conditioned to being active all the time that we see boredom as a, as a wasted time or as a, we often see it the opposite. It's a sign I need to be more active. So I'm going to want you, you know, for your listeners to start paying attention to some of the little triggers and signs in your body. So first of all, Let's assume you've got a quote-unquote normal chronotype or body clock. You're going to be more mentally alert in the morning. Um, and so just pay attention. Are you? Are you more mentally alert in the morning? Or when do you really come good? When do you, when do you get your great ideas? Pay attention to all that stuff so you can begin to track and schedule your life and your work according to the clock in your body. Uh, now, not always possible, you know, we, we work in buildings, we work in organisations where we're sometimes at the mercy of others. But I reckon at least half the time you can begin to, you know, manoeuvre your life and manoeuvre your meetings and your obligations 
around the clock in your body if you're paying attention uh, closely to it. Now, does this tie in a bit to your new book, The One Day Refund? Can you tell me about that and how how we can all recover more of our time? Sure. Um, <clears throat> the One Day Refund uh, is about taking back time to spend it wisely. And the, the gist of it really is about having adaptive capacity. Uh, so too many of us have back-to-back meetings. We're, we're 100% on 100% of the time. We get to the end of the day, we fall in a heap. And in fact, you know, if someone, if there's an opportunity that comes up and they say, hey, when can we talk about this amazing opportunity? You say, I'm sorry, I don't have a gap in my diary for at least six weeks. And so the risk of that is you're missing opportunities. You can't take advantage of changes that are coming up and you're just kind of on this treadmill of, of stuff. So I suggest that we try and protect about 15% of our time in a day or a week or a month or a quarter, however you want to carve it up. At the very least, it's just over an hour a day. We need to protect in our diaries for either shifting our activity horizon further into the future. So instead of playing catch-ups, we're actually planning and doing things our future self will thank us for. Or it's keeping a space free so that um, if a really great opportunity comes up, you have got some capacity to have the conversation or to do the planning around that. Uh, So I've got leaders who do a mix. Some do... um, the hour a day and some do they'll protect a whole half day in their week so they'll they'll take meetings up to say 11 o'clock on a Friday and then from then on they're completely free on a Friday and and that is to give themselves some space to think and breathe but also to make sure that there's room in their diary in the event that that they can have a an opportunity now an opportunity may not happen which is fine doesn't happen every week but now they've got space to begin to forward plan and get just ahead of the curve so they're not feeling like they're constantly running at 100 miles an hour. Hmm. And also I think if you've got a bit of flexibility with your time, then when the unexpected happens or, you know, change comes your way, you you tend to feel less overwhelmed because you've got some breathing space. Absolutely. And so if we think about Stephen Covey's work around the distance between stimulus and response, which is basically how long is your fuse? Something happens and what's your reaction? And for some people, the space between something happening and their reaction is quite literally a a, a clap, like it's so close, you, you can't separate it. But you're right. So if I have a bit of capacity and a bit of thinking and breathing space built into my world, something happens. And I've got space to think about either the right thing to say, a move to make, the right response, and and I can, you know, potentially take advantage of this particular circumstance that's changing rather than being at the mercy of Mm. it. Now, you also have um, something you call the five W's for setting boundaries. Can you talk our listeners through that? Sure. This is... This is about creating more breathing space and it's kind of in the personal part of the book where I talk about, you know, you've got a professional life and you've got a personal life. And often when people talk about breathing space and needing more, it's because they may have said yes to too many things or they've just got, they're stretching themselves too thin. And so I really ask people to think about um, the people and activities and things that they're investing their time in. And it may be good to run it through Um, the five W's, which is a way of setting boundaries. So asking yourself, who am I willing or not to give time to? What do I want or not to achieve? When do I need to protect time? And when will I make myself available? 
where can I put in place some contextual markers between play and rest so I'm not constantly con- contaminating my rest time with my computer or my phones or stuff like that, so technologies, and why would I give one person or activity attention over another? So, again, it's being conscious rather than being operating in default, right? I just do things because they're there. I'm actually stopping and thinking about who, what, when, where and why I'm spending my time. Are there any kind of typical red flags that people should look out for that might kind of mean that they're on the verge of burning out? Oh, lots of us have our own signs around that. So um, I was actually just, just thinking about this today. It's almost like if we're if we're beginning to feel burnt out or overwhelmed, we might be suffering from the seven dwarves of overwhelm, which is like grumpy, snarky, snippy, teary, you know, all those things, uh, and glum, right? And, and so the first thing we want to do is be super aware of our own signals around that. And then we've got to try and move a little bit back in time. Um, and what I mean by that is if I know that I start to get a bit teary when I'm overwhelmed, then I need to try and recognise that it's happening before I get to the teary stage. And this, again, requires consciousness. What are some of the circumstances that tip me in? Um, so being super aware of your own shift in state when you're starting to move into that overwhelm uh, place. And then the next thing I say to people is just to stop. And and I know lots of your listeners would go, it's just not possible, my job, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to say, no, you can stop and you can stop. Let's say, can you stop for three minutes? Just three minutes. That's all I'm asking. You stop, you take three massive big breaths, and then you go get yourself a big glass of just water, still water. And if anyone, I don't like still water, too bad, your body needs it. Um, Because I say a hydrated brain and an oxygenated brain helps you think. Because often when we're overwhelmed, we just can't think. And burnout, the, the... that's the first signs of then heading to a more physical burnout. And so if you're feeling overwhelmed, stop, breathe, drink. Uh, and that sometimes is enough to catch you and help you make some better decisions about what you do next. Yeah, breath is so important. I think um, it's something something so simple, it's easy to forget that, that you know, fast breathing panic attack, (laughs) slow breathing, calm state of mind. Like it's a very simple Mm. kind of thing to click into as well without having to do anything fancy. Absolutely. And 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 so you're right, eh? it's accessible. Anyone can do it. It's super easy. And anyone that says to me, I don't have time to breathe, (laughs) I'm like, really? Just listen to what you just said. I don't have time to stop and breathe. Like it's quite ridiculous. So, yeah. It's, it's, and, and, but yet we forget, we forget about how uh, impactful it can be when we do that. Mm-hmm. Now, what about our small business owners that's got so many tasks these days? They're all, you know, they're running e-commerce stores, they're, they're doing their accounts, they're like, they're juggling a lot of balls. It, is multitasking actually possible or should they be looking to outsource some stuff? Well, is multitasking possible? Yes, of course it's possible. But are you, instead of doing one thing really well, you're doing multiple things poorly. And so um, I absolutely am an advocate for, particularly in small business, uh, we think we can't afford it. 
and, and this I say this because I am a small business owner. And you know, when you're first starting out, you think, oh, I can't afford to outsource aspects of my business, whether it's marketing or social media or getting a bookkeeper or something like that. Um, and so what happens is we end up having a crack at doing all those things, none of which we're experts at. We're experts at whatever our small business is, whether we're a tradie or whether we're a, an author or a speaker like me or whether we're, you know, we're running a, a salon or something like that. And we're experts at that. We're not experts at that other stuff. And so not only are we overwhelmed by the tasks, but we're overwhelmed by the complex, complexity and our lack of skill in those tasks. So they take longer. And and I and I'm you know I calculate what my hourly rate is worth, and then I then I look at you know a bookkeeper who might charge me I don't know I, I don't know I'm making this up a little bit um, you know a few hundred dollars to manage my books for the month, whereas if I tried to do it it would take twice as long, and at my hourly rate means that that's just an absolute false economy. So first of all I'm a fan of recognizing your skills and your strengths and staying with it. And yes, getting experts to do your stuff. And you'll be surprised it's actually more economically sound than you think. And it, again, it gives you time to be thinking big picture, to be having those daydreams, which I think everybody kind of needs to have. Well, yes, there's there's distinct um, therapeutic benefit of daydreaming. Um, but I also call it the I couldn't do my business without occasionally having the dreamer state where I'm pondering what's possible when I'm solving problems creatively. They're my strengths in my business and I'm actually able to, you know, plan ahead and, and create something sustainable rather than feel like I'm constantly playing catch-ups, you know. Hmm. And remember we should all take some time off sometimes because, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. What's that old saying? about Jack, was it, working hard all the time? <laughs> I can't even think of it. <laughs> I, I don't know what you mean, but I will say that I'm coming to you today from a, a three-day, I'm on a three-day retreat with three of my other uh, business colleagues and friends. We come away once a year for three days and we dream for three days. And I find that that's exactly the break. So whether it's a vacation, whether it's a weekend, whether it's an hour off, scheduling time to to have a breather and create in our case it's some thinking breathing and dreaming space um you know you you, you if you think you can't afford it then that's exactly what you should be doing because i know for me it, it's the game changer for me and my business oh well thank you so much for breaking up your retreat time to to have a chat with me <laughs> very welcome you're very welcome <laughs> I think our listeners will have got a great deal out of this conversation. Thank you so much for joining me, Donna. And I look forward to speaking with you again, no doubt, because I'm sure you have so many more valuable insights to share with us. Cess, I have a lot to say about a lot of things. So happy to come and join you anytime. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye.